You're listening to Bible Prophecy Talk on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris White. Thank you for showing up and downloading the show. This show tries to look at Bible prophecy in a sober, serious way in light of recent scholarly debates and really tries to go one step beyond the pop culture view of a lot of biblical prophecy issues. Today I'm going to be joined by a guest, a good friend, Alan Kirshner. He is the founder and director of Eschatos Ministries, and he's been teaching Bible prophecy for some time. He is also a Ph.D. student presently in the New Testament. He holds an M.A. in Biblical Languages at, from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. In graduate studies in the New Testament, he went to Harvard Divinity, B.A. in Philosophy at the University of Wisconsin. So he is a very uh, well-credentialed uh, guy, and he's a great guy to talk to about Bible prophecy. He has a great, consistent hermeneutic, I think, Fans of the show will appreciate. So today we're going to talk about one particular subject, and I hope to make this a series of podcasts where Alan and I might pick a certain topic and just spend the whole um, the whole program talking about it. In this episode, we decided to take the idea of uh, is Matthew 24 just for the Jews, or does it have application for the church as well? This, as many of you know, is a, a an argument in, in many different camps. And so we talk a little bit about it and discuss whether or not we think Matthew 24 is for the church or not. So without any further delay, here is the interview with Alan Kirshner. So Alan, uh, what are some reasons that people say Matthew 24 is not for the church and for the Jews only? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Matthew 24, of course, that's part of Matthew 25, uh, the Olivet Discourse. And there's basically two groups of people who do not believe that it's for um, for the church, uh, pre-tribulationists and preterists. Uh, of course, preterists don't believe that Matthew 24 is for the church because they believe that these events have already happened in the first century, and thus these warnings uh, are not applicable to a future generation uh, or even this generation. Uh, so logically, I mean, at least they're consistent. I think they're consistently wrong. Uh, and uh, But yeah, they, they, they would say it's not applicable uh, to the future church simply because it's already been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other group, pre-tribulationists, they do not believe that Matthew 24 is for the church uh, namely for two reasons, and I think people really have to understand what these two reasons are. Now, they'll, they'll give uh, a lot of surface reasons why Matthew 24 may not be for the church, but there's really two deep-seated uh, presuppositions that really govern why they, they don't have Matthew 24 uh, as a teaching for the church. Uh, they would say that it's a teaching uh, for uh, Jewish believers uh, during the, you know, after the rapture, uh, during the, the uh, tribulation period. But the two reasons are, num- number one is the, their presupposition of imminency, that Christ can return at any moment. Uh, basically, imminency means that no prophesied events must occur before uh, the return of, uh, of the Lord. Uh, because if certain events happen, even if one single prophesied event would has to happen before 
before the rapture, then there's no such thing as imminence. And so, and, and so when they, you know, uh, approach Matthew 24, they see all of these events happening that are prophesied: the Great Tribulation, uh, the celestial disturbances, these events happening before uh, the coming of the Lord. They'll see, and they'll say, "Well, that, you know, th that can't refer to the coming mentioned in Matthew 24. That can't refer to the coming of the Rapture and the Resurrection. It must refer to some other." coming such as like for example the battle of armageddon at the end of the seven year period so this principle presupposition uh a faulty presupposition uh governs why they don't have matthew 24 refer to the uh, uh or be applicable to the church it's not a, it's not a church teaching and so they're relegated off to as one 19th century theologian put it, off to the Jewish wastebasket. Well, it's for those Jews over there. It's for, you know, uh, believing Jews during the tribulation period. The second reason why they don't view Matthew 24 as a teaching for the church is because uh, they fail to make a very important biblical distinction. Uh, they will conflate the Antichrist, Great Tribulation, and the Day of the Lord together. They just see it as one event. They just, they just assume that uh, you know, Antichrist persecution against God's people is God's wrath. Of course, that makes no sense to me and, and, and others because you know, we're, we're promised exemption from God's wrath. But yet you see uh, in Matthew 24, you see this reference to a Great Tribulation. And, of course, the abomination desolation is kind of personified as Antichrist. So you have the Antichrist Great Tribulation. And so they just identify that as they think it's, oh, that's, that refers to the Day of the Lord. And they believe that, and rightly so, they believe that the rapture happens before the Day of the Lord. Now, my view, the pre-wrath view, also believes that the rapture happens before the Day of the Lord's wrath. Uh, but the difference between the pre-wrath view and the pre-trib view is the is when does the day of the Lord begin? And, and so, so uh, I know without going into too yeah. much detail there, could you explain when, uh, when that is according to the pre-wrath view? Uh, sure. The, the, the pre-wrath believes that uh, the rapture happens on the very same day that the day of the Lord begins, uh, which will occur uh, sometime during the second half of the seven-year period. So you, you have the seven-year period at the midpoint. The Antichrist's great tribulation begins. And Jesus says, we don't know the day of the hour, but those days, the days of the great tribulation will be uh, against God's people, will be cut short with the coming of the Lord in the sky, and, and the Lord will uh, gather his people. And we understand that to refer to the gathering of the elect, to refer to uh, the, the rapture event. Uh, which will happen, of course, immediately after the resurrection event. And then on that same day, God will pour out his wrath for the remaining part of the seven-year period, and actually a little bit even beyond the seven-year period. Very good. So to summarize that second point, what would you say that would be? Summarize the second point is that they failed, they, they um, make the mistake of assuming that the Antichrist's great tribulation is God's wrath. But again, emphasize uh, that there, the biblical distinction is that uh, is the uh, the Antichrist Great Tribulation is against the godly, not the ungodly. The world is going to love this guy, 
And that needs to be distinguished from the day of the Lord's wrath against the, the wicked. Very good. Th that point is so important. There's so many different ways, things we could talk about about that. Um, but uh, in just trying to keep on topic here, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've also heard a lot of the, the pop kind of views when they're trying to explain why Matthew is just for the church. They, they'll go into a lot of detail in saying things like, you know, we all know Matthew was a good Jew and, and different things like that. And, and he was more the more Jewish of the gospel writers and things of this nature in order to sort of say, hey, it's almost like in preparation for when we get to Matthew 24. Remember, I was talking about this being a big, you know, Jewish uh, a book. What would you say in that regard? Is Matthew a very Jewish book or would you consider it a, a church centered book? Oh, uh, well, of course, we have to. Uh, not uh, make uh, anachronistic uh, mistakes by people forget that uh, the first uh, the early church was Jewish. Uh, the um, it's it's it would be a false dichotomy to claim that you know since the Book of Matthew is Jewish, uh, the Olive Discourse does not pertain to the church. But uh, we we can easily forget that the first members of the church were all Jewish and they were. This is interesting, too. They were preparing to take all of G Jesus' teachings and commands to the Gentiles. And it, it's, it's interesting. No, of course, we see that at the end of the Matthew 28 is uh, the Great Commission. Jesus teaches uh, the Great Commission and these disciples who are representatives of the church, not representatives of future, quote-unquote, Jewish believers during the tribulation, but the representatives of the church and they're taught to take uh, Jesus's uh, message. And by the way, let me just point out that in the Great Commission, Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Uh, it doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm going to teach, uh, you know, go out and, and, and um, you know, obey everything I have commanded you except the Olivet Discourse. No, the Olivet Discourse is part of God's commandments. And so, it's a, yeah, it's a Jewish book, definitely a Jewish book, and uh, and and yet it's it's a preparatory book for the church. And by the way, just an incidental uh, remark: uh, the the only time the word church is mentioned in all the Gospels is actually mentioned twice in the Book of Matthew. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the other uh, Gospels are not for the church, but you know, it's, it's <laughs> right. that those who will really emphasize, well, you know, uh, the teachings in, in in Matthew is is not for the church, but it's Jewish. It's kind of an interesting point to to make. Indeed, and and on that, uh, what was the historical view of the early church about Matthew twenty four? Did how how did they view it in terms of um, eschatological information? Yeah, uh, well, the the early church. I mean, they uh, nowhere will you find at least up to you know uh, the third fourth century. You're not going to find early church teaching that. You know, Matthew 24 is not applicable to uh, is not applicable to the church. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the very first document outside of the New Testament is called the Didache, explicitly applies. Uh, it's and it's uh, the last chapter of, of of this document applies Matthew 24 uh, to the church. And they actually identify the uh, the elect as the church. So. Uh, uh, so that that's just one example, and and 
in in this document, they explicitly state that the that the church will encounter the Antichrist. In fact, they place the resurrection of God's people after the uh, the desolator or the Antichrist figure. So that's just uh, kind of one example. But the the early church, in a singular voice, at least those who actually wrote on it, not all early church writers wrote on the subject, but in a singular voice, uh, and again for the first few centuries. Uh, taught that Matthew 24 is a very, not just applicable to the church, it's pertinent to the uh, early church, uh, uh, pertinent to the, the, to the, um, to the church. Hmm. And uh, I've heard it described that the early church's view in that regard, in terms of the Antichrist and, and, and the, the, fall, the catching away, uh, described in Matthew 24 as imminent intertribulationalism, the idea that the rapture would indeed be imminent, but only after the Antichrist's persecution had begun. Um, would you agree that's something similar to what the early church believed in that regard? Yeah, um, I, I, I've heard that before, and in some in, in some sense that's that's true. Uh, but I would say that actually, in, in the statements of many of the early church fathers, uh, they they actually have it in the future tense. There's you know uh, not so much. I mean, now uh, some may have viewed that they, they were experiencing. Uh, maybe some understood the um, the empire, the, the the persecution by the empire was an expression of that. And in that sense, yes, they would they would they would see that. But a lot of the church fathers actually taught of a future antichrist figure who would come on the scene one day. Uh, so uh, in that sense, they were they were futurists. Sure. Okay, moving right along here. Um, I think I'll ask this one before I ask some of your reasons uh, why you think that Matthew uh, 24 should be regarded as talking to uh, the church and and um, is significant for our purposes. But but what what kind of other parallel passages? For example, Luke 21 and Mark 13. Um, how do those play into this discussion when people try to make the claim that Matthew 24 is only for uh, the Jews? Uh, does that is that fall into the apologetic for this argument at all? Yeah, it's kind of an odd argument sometimes that you know pre-tribulationists fail to see. You know, they'll say Matthew 24 is not for the church, but yet you know the, all of the discourse is found in Luke 21 and part of Luke 17. It's found in Mark 13, and yet those are, I mean, especially Luke. You know, those were uh, teachings for namely Gentiles, um, and so it's kind of odd that they would not mention that because i mean are they going to claim that you know uh luke and the, the book of luke and, and and mark is not for the church i mean that would be kind of a, an absurd argument right i think that uh, i mean it's sort of uh, one way to, to talk about it but i think some people do believe that uh, mark was an amanuensis for peter in which case peter was certainly a very good jew as well um and uh, but anyway that's sort of a long shot argument to make but um um, let's let's move into this real um, well. Let's take as much time as you need to to describe some ideas of uh, reasons that you would give to suggest that Matthew was indeed talking to the church. Sure, uh, there's there's a lot of reasons. I'm not going to get into all the reasons. I'll try to get into some of the best reasons first of all. Uh, one I already actually mentioned that you know Jesus at the end of Matthew 24 says uh, he says you know teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's in the Great Commission. Uh, the Great Commission is for for all believers, Gentiles and Jews. Uh, so again, it doesn't limit it to, or it doesn't exclude the Olivet Discourse from that command. 
Uh, so there's a, you know, pre-tribulationists make this selective interpretation, you know, and that's a, kind of a sign of failed argument. Uh, another, it's interesting, the great, uh, speaking of the Great Commission, uh, Jesus, when he talked to disciples, who again, they're representatives of the church, he says that, that he will be with them. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, he, he tells the disciples, I will be with you to the end of the age. Now, that's an important expression because we find this same expression in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. Uh, in Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I, I have kind of an alternative view on what's going to fulfill this, uh, this great commission uh, in Matthew 24, 14, but a lot of pre-tribulationists inconsistently will look at that and say, oh, that, yeah, that's referring to the gospel proclamation. <clears throat> but on the other hand, they, they will say that Matthew 24, you know, Matt, uh, the church is not found in Matthew 24. So it's, you know, I would pose the question, which is it? Is it applied to the church or is it not? Is it is the church found in Matthew 24 or is it not? So they, on that point, they would be uh, inconsistent. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, do you find without I know you've done a lot of work on this and some really great uh, work on showing the, the consistency between or Second uh, Thessalonians 2 and Matthew 24. Would you also use that as a reason to suggest that um, that Paul seemed to believe that the Olivet Discourse was important for these new believers worried about eschatology? Yeah, that's that's another another reason that uh, Matthew 24 would be applicable to the church. I uh in fact, I've uh, found actually uh, uh, more than 25, actually about 30 parallels between uh, Paul's Thessalonian teachings on the second coming and Jesus' uh, second coming teaching in Matthew 24. Now, these 30 parallels demonstrate that Matthew 24 is for the church because you can't say Matthew 24 is not for the church. And yet over in the Thessalonian epistles, you have Paul who is actually drawing from the Olivet Discourse. He's drawing from Matthew 24 and part of Luke 21. And yet, yet pre-tribulationists believe that Jesus or, or Paul uh, is speaking of, you know, the rapture event. Now they also talk about the second coming, but the point here is that Paul is, giving a coherent and a consistent teaching drawing from Jesus. So that, yeah, that would be a, uh, a, a good argument to show that the Olivet Discourse does apply to the church. Uh, another argument is in Matthew 24, verse 9 through 14, Jesus addresses disciples as you, you. Now, if, and this is in the section of the great, or the, 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 the gospel being proclaimed. And yet, in verses 15 and forward, where it talks about the great tribulation, Jesus continues the second person plural, you. In other words, he's addressing the, the, same, uh, the same audience. Uh, another good reason is that all of the discourse is uh, in, in Matthew, when you know, Jesus rejected by the Jewish leadership, he taught that the gospel would, ex would expand beyond Israel to the other nations. Now, this is this is really interesting because Matthew 21, verse 43 says, For this reason I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So here, Jesus is 
preparing his disciples for what? For church instruction. So that, that's another good reason to show that Matthew 24 applies to the church. Um, and uh, uh, another, another good reason is if, if we're going to be consistent, we're going to say, okay, Matthew 24 is not a church instruction. Then we also have to say that, you know, a couple days later, uh, Jesus gives a, a church instruction called, the, you know, the Lord's Supper. Are, are we supposed to say, well, no, the Lord's Supper, that's for Jewish saints? No, of course not. That's a church instruction. So you have to be consistent and, and, uh, and affirm both of these teachings. That's interesting. In fact, I think Matthew is the only gospel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that actually gives us church discipline, uh, explicit church discipline teachings that are still used today in almost every church. That is, if a man comes to you, or if you go to a man and you explain his sin and he won't hear it, take it to the elders and so on and so forth. Yeah, exactly. The, and and that's in the context of when I mentioned before that the term church ecclesia is uh, only mentioned in Matthew, actually Matthew 16 and 18. And yet the Olive Discourse follows after this church teaching. That's, that's quite interesting because some pre-tribulationists, they will ignorantly say, well, Matt, or Jesus never taught on church instruction until, you know, say the Great Commission or uh, until um, – until the resurrection or something, but no, he taught church instruction actually uh, before his death. And and by the way, John fourteen one through three, uh, again the uh, this upper room discourse. You know, uh, Jesus promises, I you know where I go, I will come again and will receive you unto myself. That is, and all pre-tribulationists agree that's re that refers to the rapture. And yet, when when did Jesus teach that church teaching? Uh, just a couple of days after the Olive Discourse. So. Uh, a pre-tribulationist, they can't tell me, well, you know, Jesus can, Jesus can teach on the rapture, uh, you know, one day before his crucifixion, but he can't teach on the rapture three or four days before his crucifixion. That just doesn't hold water. Um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and this is something that we could probably have a follow-up show on, and I have written quite a bit on this, that Matthew 24, verse 31 is uh, – there's a reference talking about that when Christ comes back, he will gather the elect to himself. And that, uh, I believe, refers to the, uh, to the rapture. In fact, I have four uh, arguments showing that the gathering of the elect in Matthew 24, verse 31, is a reference to the rapture. And again, that, that we could take a whole show for that one as well. Sure. And uh, maybe I'll just mention one more here. Or, um, well, anyway, I, I think that's, you know, I could mention those are uh, some arguments that, uh, you know, and, and, and if any pre-tribulationists, you know, are, are listening to this podcast, I just encourage you to, uh, to take these arguments into consideration and just, you know, set aside the presupposition once of that, you know, Matthew 24 does not apply to the church and just read Read Matthew 24 and just, you know, ask yourself, what is the natural teaching here? And, you know, I agree uh, very much with, with all that. And I, I think it's important to to emphasize the Matthew 24, 31 verse where he's talking about, you will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Very sounds like the rapture, you know, but the problem is, is verse 29 starts that out with immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
And of course, this whole thing matches up nicely to Revelation 6 and, and all that. So th this is one of the primary reasons that, that people are trying to avoid dealing with this, because that first line in, in Matthew 24, uh, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, because that would suggest that you have to be after that tribulation in order to get the sun, moon, and star signs, and therefore the rapture. But that's not a problem if you understand the tribulation here is meant to be the, the persecution of Antichrist, not the not the wrath of God. It, it's an oxymoron, in a, in a sense, to think that the wrath of God is persecution of the church. Um, but that's for another show, I suppose. Yeah. Um, one question here is about things people would have to say in, in defense of the this argument might have to do with some of the ideas like um, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and these ideas... Uh, um, Pray that your flight not be on the in the winter or on the Sabbath. These these are two ideas that are often um, used to say, well, these these are referring to people in Judea. This is referring to flight on the Sabbath. So this sounds very Ju uh, Jewish. Do you have any explanation for those issues? Yeah, uh, and that's simply the the context of of the disciples. You have to remember the audience is the disciples. This is the context they are in. And so Jesus is using. Uh, their surrounding context, uh, you know, he's he's not, he, you know, he's not going to use something alien that this, the the uh, disciples are not going to relate to. So, uh, you know, some people there's different interpretations. For example, you mentioned uh, uh, as far as the, uh, you know, the mention of the Sabbath, and again, that's just uh, you know, some people will see that as. Uh, well, especially um, you know, preterists, they'll they'll use that to ref to talk, try to argue that referred to AD 70, and now some maybe the Sabbath will be in effect uh, in Jerusalem in the future at that time, uh, or some people just interpret that as in terms of of uh, you know that's for um, uh, you know that if the Sabbath was in effect that Christians, uh, whether Jewish or Gentile. You know, could not escape quickly. And by the way, that and that's in the context of, of um, uh, verse um, uh, seventeen, uh, or I'm sorry, nineteen, speaking of the women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. The point Jesus is making there is that uh, is the urgency when this happens, the abomination of desolation when this happens. God's people are to are to flee, are to flee Jerusalem. And now someone could draw a larger principle, and I think that we could draw a larger principle of when, you know, let's say believers in America, when we see that happen, uh, you know, the question is, you know, does that justify us to flee? Do we find some, you know, some some cave uh, in the woods or something to flee? And I, I'm not from that persuasion, but my interpretation of of, uh, of of this whole section right there is simply that Jesus is teaching urgency. He's not he's not trying to say, okay, this is only for Jewish believers, uh, and some will try to. Uh, sure, I agree with that 100%. I think that uh, if the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist sitting in a, a temple, the temple, calling himself God. And apparently some sort of decree happens by him somewhere around there to begin the persecution of Christians. It therefore makes sense to that the urgency, especially of those at the epicenter of that in Jerusalem, 
would would need to not look back. You know, don't go back for your code. It doesn't matter if you're pregnant. It doesn't matter if it's the Sabbath. And again, there, like you mentioned, it, it uh, even uh, currently right now, uh, there is a great deal of difficulty traveling in Israel on the Sabbath. But if you could imagine that the temple was uh, back in service and the daily sacrifice was still going, you might imagine a, a religious revival in the years preceding this this uh, this command to flee. So you would even be more difficult for that person, whether pregnant or on the Sabbath. Right. But the command to flee is the same. He's not saying don't flee if it's a Sabbath. It would just be say it's just saying woe to you because it will be more difficult. It for you in your fleeing, right? Um, and it's this is this is directed to believers, uh, because earlier you know it talks about that many will fall away, betray one another, uh, because of his name. They will be hated by all names because of my name's sake. So this is in a believing context, and so uh, you know, so we get verse twenty: pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Uh, again. Uh, you know, believers are are not under the law. We're not under a uh, this Sabbath law, and so again, the the point here is that Jesus is stressing the urgency. Why? To avoid to avoid being persecuted. I mean, that's simply what he's trying to say here. Very good. Okay, well, um, we certainly could spend a lot of time talking uh, about these individual points. I know you just recently put out a podcast about Matthew twenty four thirty one on your uh, on your show. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and direct uh, listeners to your to your show? Yeah, sure. Um, my website alankirshner dot com. I I did a recent series. Uh, let me just back up a little bit. Not all pre tribulationists will say well. All of Matthew 24 does not apply to the church. There's actually a new argument. I don't know how new it is, but it's it's kind of emerging. It's becoming a little bit more popular in pre-trib arguments. And they will say, well, part of Matthew 24 applies to the church and the rest of it. You know, what they will say is that everything from Matthew verse, you know, one till or uh, verse three till thirty five. 3 to 35, all that applies to, that's the day of the Lord, that applies to Jewish believers. But starting verse 36 through 44, that applies to the church. And, you know, Matthew 24, verse 36 reads, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, uh, but the Father only. They believe that refers to the rapture. And, and yet, but there's serious problems with that. Uh, because what they do is they disconnect uh, these two sections from each other. Because in the first section, Jesus is teaching, you know, this is what's going to happen. And then in the second section, section Jesus teaches, now live in light of this. Uh, and he gives signs in the beginning in the first section, and then he doesn't give signs in the second se- section, because now it's, it's, it's uh, a warning, exhortation to be watchful. Because you're, you know, you're not going to know the exact day or hour. You're going to know the season Jesus teaches, but you're not going to know the exact hour. Well, pre, uh, certain pre-tribulationist teachers now are trying to disconnect these two sections. And I wrote a, a series, a six-part series called "Why the Coming in Matthew 24, 36 through 44 refers back to verses 30 to 31." Okay, and 
and you can read that. Uh, I, I give various arguments to show the co uh, the coherency and the the um, cohesiveness of these two sections. And uh, if you do a search on my website, you can come up with this series. But uh, the main point here is is they, they they want this section to refer to the rapture. That basically 36 and 44. Uh, they lifted up and they retrojected all the way back before verse four, and so they believe, for, yeah, it that teaches the the imminency, and so they're really holding on to uh, this section, trying to apply that to a pre-tribulational rapture, but it just it simply does not work, as I uh, wrote on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good series and it's a good uh, podcast, and. Um... I guess we'll we'll go ahead and end this here for now, unless you have any final thoughts. And also, if you could tell people that may be interested in this, and there's so much more to know, and, and, and I think that people may be listening to this and thinking, wow, this is rational, this sounds uh, plausible. Where can they go to, to hear more about this idea? What books you would recommend? Podcasts, radio shows, blogs, all that stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, there's, there's good books out there. Um... You can uh, just do a search on Amazon. There's, of course, uh, the standard work on pre-wrath is is Marvin Rosenthal's book, uh, The Pre-Wrath Rapture of the Church. Uh, that's always a good standard book. And uh, there's some books by uh, Charles uh, Cooper as well. Um, and, and Robert Van Campen. Uh, I've been, uh, myself, I've been writing a book the past few years and it's at the editor right now. And uh, actually kind of tweaked the title just recently, but it's called uh, Pre-Wrath Antichrist Before the Day of the Lord. And that will be out, uh, Lord willing, at the beginning of the year. So, but they can, you know, people can go to my website. I have a podcast myself called The Biblical. Always writing blog articles. Uh, and there's pamphlets. I have a Pre-Wrath pamphlet series. They can find, uh, uh, let's see here, uh, it, Information on conferences. I'm always like announcing conferences are going to be. Actually, there's a, a big conference coming up in in Dallas, and it's mostly it's not a prophecy conference per se, but there's a lot of prophecy teachers there, and I'll be the only pre-wrath uh, exponent at this conference. It's called Future Congress Two, so I'm I'm giving three lectures there, and um, but it, as far as um, any last words, I, I you know. I, one verse in Matthew 24 just always jumps out at me, and that is Matthew 24, verse 25. It says, remember, I have told you ahead of time. This is an ominous warning from our Lord uh, because there, there's ramifications to your view. I mean, this isn't like, you know, there's no ramifications on what position you take. There are ramifications that Jesus teaches. Uh, so the question, does Matthew 24 apply to the church or not, uh, it has its consequences, and I believe it does. I believe that God is going to call the last generation of the church to encounter its worst persecution ever during the Antichrist Great Tribulation. And Jesus says those days, though, will be cut short uh, with his coming, and then he will pour out the day of the Lord's wrath. And Jesus says, remember, I have told you ahead of time. Not simply uh, re remember this. But he emphasizes, I have told you ahead of time. And so we could actually narrow down the question. Does this statement, this warning from Jesus, remember I have told you ahead of time, th does this warning apply to the church or not? And your 
one's conclusion on that will have ramifications. And I, 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 I pray that that will be that you will affirm that, yes, this is a, a teaching for you. It is a teaching for the church. There are warnings all over Scripture, and we have to heed to our Lord's warning that difficult times are coming. We're not going to be raptured out of here in beds of ease. Very difficult times are coming. I don't know if it's going to be this generation or the next, but uh, I believe it is going to be soon, and we have to be spiritually prepared for that. Alan Kirshner, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing this information with us. Thank you, Chris. 